Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of this program, there's a lot of news today that uh, I I, I want to get to it, the Disney stuff and polling and all, but I actually want to start kind of with a, a refresher course, if you will, in, in the problems that the Biden team and, and the Democrats and, and the rest of us are having to deal with. The reason the polling for the president is as bad as it is, is because presidents get credit and blame for the economy. And out of the gate, I think as a matter of intellectual honesty, I, I got to say, I have long maintained presidents of the United States are not largely to blame They can make things worse, and I do believe Biden has with some of his policies. They were warned about the COVID spending package and how it would contribute to inflation. Uh, They denied that. They decided that they could rethink things. And uh, the fallout has a lot to do with the Biden administration thinking they could change this. We've got a series of economic problems in the country, all of which are caused by different policy solutions and different policy problems, including global problems and solutions relating to COVID, the the shutdowns, the lockdowns, uh, the supply chain issue in large part has to do with COVID. More than anything else, the supply chain problems are impacted by COVID. It's not really Biden's fault. The problem is this president campaigned saying who could fix it all. And you can't fix things that are outside your control. But in a campaign, your campaign tends to lack humility, regardless of who you are. And the result is you make promises and voters expect you, if you're going to make the promise, live up to the promise. And they can't live up to the promise. Now, there's something else going on here as well. And there's a dynamic here that I think you've got to understand. And I I need to lay out some history for you. The Jimmy Carter team, actually, you know what? Let, let me let me go back uh, before that. And, and let me give you a little history here to put everything in context. So you had in 1960, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was term limited and his vice president ran for president. You've probably heard of him. His name was Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon was not a, a charismatic guy, not good on television, uh, television was a new thing. Televised presidential debates were a new thing. There's that old anecdote that people who listened on radio thought Nixon won. People who listened on, watched on TV thought Kennedy won. Kennedy won. Now, Kennedy won uh, because it was one of those few elections where there probably was a close enough election and enough uh, hanky-panky in Chicago and Texas that uh, it, it's arguable that Nixon should have won the race, but he didn't, and we moved on. And Kennedy became president. He was the young, I mean, the 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 old people in the media now were young people then. And they get priapism thinking about the Kennedy days between Bobby Kennedy and John F. Kennedy. They, they absolutely adored him. They loved him. It was a new world. It was a new way of thinking. It was a new time to move forward. And then Kennedy is assassinated. And you have Lyndon Baines Johnson. And Johnson was a old school Texan um, leader of the Senate, knew how to master of the Senate, knew how to get things done, becomes president, is not a nice person. And ultimately, with the Vietnam situation inherited by Kennedy that he escalates, 
he's thrown out of office. And you have this young, angsty, progressive wing of the Democratic Party that surges forward, trying to take over power, and they are stopped by who? Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had lost to Kennedy, rebounds in 1968, becomes president of the United States, and is a liberal Republican. Uh, Richard Nixon brought us the EPA. Richard Nixon brought us price controls. Richard Nixon brought us wage controls. Richard Nixon brought us a lot of the, the policies that Democrats now favor to deal with inflation and the like. Richard Nixon brought them. Uh, Don Rumsfeld, I knew. He was George W. Bush's Secretary of Defense. And Richard Nixon, when Rumsfeld worked for him, Rumsfeld insisted on putting a guy you may have heard of named Dick Cheney in charge of the wage and labor regulations for controls. And the reason uh, Cheney and Rumsfeld did this, and I've heard the story from both of them. I, I knew both men. I know Cheney. Uh, the reason that Rumsfeld put Cheney in charge of it is because Rumsfeld knew it would be a disaster. And knew if he put Cheney in charge of it, it would slow walk everything. And the brakes would be hit, they would slow down, and things would not advance. And they did. They largely were able to obstruct Richard Nixon internally. Nixon, of course, was a uh, son of the Cold War and also began realigning the world and realizing if we could get China on our side against Russia, uh, the Chinese and Russians were regularly in border wars against each other, that we could build a real alliance against the Soviet Union. For the longest time, it worked. Uh, the fallout, of course, we're dealing with now, but at the time, uh, short-term thinking, it, it actually worked fairly well. For uh, Only Nixon could go to China, they said, not just Spock. Uh, was able to go to China and get China on our side. But in any event, uh, Nixon, of course, has the fallout from Watergate. Ford becomes president. Ford's a moderate Republican. Ford loses to Carter, and Carter's kind of a shakeup of the Democratic Party. A governor from the South pulls together a Southern constituency, becomes president of the United States over an aggressive uh, Democratic elite, um, and it was is able to win. Now, who are the people? Some of these people, if you're familiar with uh, the, if you're familiar with the dynamics of American politics from the '60s and '70s, you've heard of Jerry Brown, longtime governor of California. Uh, you've heard of George Wallace of Alabama, Mo Udall from Arizona, Henry Jackson from Washington, and Frank Church of the Church Commission from Idaho. Uh, Carter wins. The governor of Georgia, he wins. Consolidates the South. Does very well. Sweeps through the South. Uh, his only major rival in the South is George Wallace. Uh, out West, he's got to deal with Frank Church, but he does well. He gets it, uh, and he becomes the president, and there is economic catastrophe. Uh, OPEC embargoes, oil lines, crises, and Jimmy Carter does not have the fortitude to withstand it. He is out to lunch, out to pasture, and doesn't really understand the way Washington works. And so who's his big rival in 1980? It's Ronald Reagan. And Reagan comes in and he's got this thing that George H.W. Bush in the Republican primary challenged him on called voodoo economics. And Reagan's ideas, Reagan's ideas are, um, oh, what's his name? Um, his, his idea is supply-side economics. That uh, instead of the government stimulating demand, let's stimulate some supply 
let's increase the availability of cash in the economy through the free market, through deregulation, through the cutting of taxes, uh, increase people's available supply of their own money, not making new money, but people's access to their own money through cutting taxes, and the economy would take off. And Ronald Reagan's tax plan set in a 30 to 40 year economic boom in the United States. Now, you got to understand that the uh, Republican moderates tried to contain it. They had Howard Baker run. They had Bob Dole run. They had George H.W. Bush run. All of them were running to stop Reagan. In fact, I remember I had to write a paper on this one time. Uh, They literally were openly trying to stop the conservatives. They were trying to stop the conservative momentum of Ronald Reagan, and they failed. And the compromise was George H.W. Bush. As his vice president, they thought he would have some moderating influence. Nancy Reagan had a more moderating influence than George H.W. Bush did on Ronald Reagan, and Reagan was beloved. Uh, George H.W. Bush was one of the very few men in American history to win a third term for an incumbent president's party. Usually, an incumbent president's party serves three two terms and then is gone, but Reagan was so popular, 76% American approval rating when he leaves office. George H.W. Bush is elected to be him, to be his third term. And when he becomes his old man, he loses. He breaks break his word. He had this very famous moment of read my lips, no new taxes. And then he raised taxes and the American people turned their back on him and they went with the young guy from Arkansas. George H.W. Bush was a hero. In 1990, after the invasion of Iraq and the Gulf War, His popularity rivaled only George Washington, and I'm not actually exaggerating. I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but in several polls, George H.W. Bush had popularity over 90%. We have never seen that before or since in American history, except for, you assume, George Washington. 90% public approval rating, and then he loses to Bill Clinton. In fact, he was so popular, the Democrats wanted Mario Cuomo to run against him, the governor of New York. The Democrats loved Cuomo. Cuomo was their guy. And Cuomo refused. He's like, I'm not running against this guy. All of the major Democrats refused. And so the Southern upstart governor with women problems, Bill Clinton, was the sacrificial lamb. And no one thought he could win. And he did. And his message was, George H.W. Bush is a fine man, but he's been in Washington. He's out of touch. It's time to move on. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow was their campaign song, and it was all about the economy, stupid. It was the economy, stupid. And they won on the economy. And they said they were going to do a new way of thinking, but they didn't really. They didn't really. They didn't really change the way they think. Now, they certainly used Democrat thinking, not supply-side economics like Reagan, but there was a new Democratic leadership was the moderate Democratic group and, and the, the yellow dogs or the Blue Dogs, rather, of the South, who were conservative Democrats. And then Clinton was such a a, uh, morally flawed, failed person. Uh, Southern Democrats, who were already turning towards Republicans, they flipped dramatically. And the Republicans began to take up office. And in 1994, for the first time in 40 years, Republicans took control of the United States House of Representatives. Let me say that again. For the first time in 40 years, Republicans took over in 1994 and have largely controlled Congress ever since, with just a few Democratic years here and there. It was a major reversal and realignment in the country because of Bill Clinton, who went on to win a second term, and the Republicans held on. Then you have the 2000 race, George W. Bush comes in, and then Democrats get Barack Obama. 
And Barack Obama is a progressive's progressive. He comes in against gay marriage, ultimately supports gay marriage, uh, is pro-abortion. Socially, he's a progressive, but he's still kind of a run-of-the-mill Democrat when it comes to economics. Trump, of course, comes in, is deeply disruptive, but Trump aligns himself with a bunch of people in the Republican Party who are status quo Republicans. They're supply-siders. You know the, the, the run-of-the-mill economic policies. And frankly, if you if I were to give you a list of things that happened in the Trump administration, politically, policy, substantive policy-wise, not, not the rhetoric, not the mean tweets, but the actual policies accomplished, and I were to give you those, you wouldn't be able to tell which Republican put those forward. They were run-of-the-mill Republicans. And this is something people forget. And all the outrage over Donald Trump, the man, Donald Trump's presidency was a pretty typical Republican presidency in terms of policies advanced. And all along the way, there's this thing happening in the undercurrents. Democrats, they got Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton betrayed their progressivism to become a run-of-the-mill economic Democrat, pro-business Democrat. Barack Obama then comes in, and Barack Obama starts out as this progressive hard charger, bust the unions, break up the big companies, and he turns out to be a run-of-the-mill Democrat, pro-business Democrat. Well, now progressives finally have Joe Biden. Joe Biden, an 80-year-old who clearly has mentally uh, diminished. And I don't mean that critically. It's just true. You talk to anyone privately who knows Joe Biden, he's not the same Joe Biden of just four years ago. And the progressives have embedded themselves within the democratic apparatus. It was going to be Hillary Clinton. She was going to right the wrongs. All the progressives were going to embed within her because they couldn't get Bernie Sanders. And now it's Joe Biden. A middle-of-the-road, mushy, moderate Democrat who's liberal on social issues, but no one to rock the boat on fiscal issues, and the progressives pack into the White House. And now is their moment. Now is their time. When Larry Summers came out and said, hey, guys, wait a second, slow down. You can't do this. You're going to get inflation. They said, inflation no longer matters. We have modern monetary theory. We can print money and buy our way out of the crisis. You do not have to worry about it. We're going to be fine and the economy blows up in their face. Progressives finally got what they wanted. They got a presidency that they could dominate, they could control, and not just on social stuff, which they always get, they could control on economic stuff as well. The progressives could set the economic policies of the United States and push the legislation that they want. And now they're roadblocked in Congress, but they're getting their way on the executive side, and what's happening? The economy's faltering. They're trying to say it's good. It's not. Inflation's going up. Gas prices are going up. People are getting angry. Progressives have gotten their way, and they're about to lose it all. It's the consequence of having your cake and eating it too in politics. They get exactly what they wanted. They're going to say when this is all over, well, we didn't get to implement what we really wanted to implement, and had we had, it would have all been better. But no, they're economically, they're doing it. And the problem here is we've got massive inflation, probably COVID restrictions returning, inflation on the rise. You've got energy gas prices on the rise. Farmers are on the brink of bankruptcy because of progressive policy. They've grabbed hold of power, and they're about to lose it quickly in November, and they're starting to realize it, and they're starting to lash out. 
Okay, I, I want to state something that should be obvious that may not be obvious for people. I like a high thread count sheet, but if the threads are crap, the sheet's going to be crap no matter how many uh, threads you need. It just, it, it's, it's amazing how people want to highlight that. And the reason I highlight this is because Bolin Branch makes high quality sheets and they're not a bajillion, majillion thread count either, but their threads are super high quality. They use 100% organic cotton threads. They give super softness. You get a better night's sleep. They're not just buttery, soft, and breathable, impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. I can attest to this. Every time you wash them, they just seem to get a little softer, and they hold up so well over the long term. You know, I'm on, gosh, maybe my second set of Bolin Branch sheets in, in a decade. So they just hold up so well. They're a quality product, and they give you such a good night's sleep. Oh, my gosh. They're so fantastic. I really do love these sheets, and I love Bolin Branch. You can, too. They are fantastic. They're so luxurious. Three U.S. presidents sleep under Bolin Branch sheets. So you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BolinBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Get a good night's sleep under Bolin Branch sheets. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty, building and loan nationwide. They want to help your business grow. If you need access to big loans like seven fifty and above, seven hundred fifty thousand, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Um, Art Laffer, thank you to those. I man, my, my brain just went on the fritz there. I, I've met Art several times uh, and couldn't remember. Um, but it was it was Reagan and supply side economics that George H. W. was called voodoo economics. And the problem here is the chickens are starting to come home to roost for progressives who got into the Clinton White House, then the Obama White House, then hitched their wagons to Hillary Clinton at the end, and then finally into the Obama or the, the Biden White House. They didn't get what they wanted with Clinton. They didn't get what they wanted with Obama economically. And now they're getting what they wanted economically with Joe Biden, and it's having devastating effects. The economy typically operates in ways somewhat detached from the policies of the president of the United States. But when you come in with something new and shiny, new economic theory that's never been tested, and you decide to apply it, you get to carry the bag for the economy. The reason we can say in the past that presidents are somewhat detached from the economy is because they use the standard Adam Smith economic textbooks, or they, they would go Keynesian if they were Democrat, but one way or the other, you kind of knew what you were getting. This is untried and untested. Modern monetary theory that the progressives have embraced and deployed within this White House genuinely argues that because major economies have fiat currency, they can spend their way out of their problems. Debt and deficit doesn't matter. That if there is inflation, you raise taxes on the wealthy to curtail their spending, and otherwise you just print money. Now, basic economic theory that's been settled going back to Diocletian in the Roman Empire is that the more money you generate into your economy, the more value, the less value your currency has. See, the Romans didn't have a name for it. They knew there was a problem. The Romans didn't have enough gold and silver to pay their soldiers, so they started mixing it uh, with other minerals, devalue, literally devaluing the gold and the silver coinage and printing enough of it, uh, and then it caused prices to go up. And they really couldn't figure it out until uh, Diocletian's regime and then into Constantine 
started realizing we need to actually bring back an actual silver um, Roman currency and an actual gold Roman currency and not mix it with other metals. When they did that, prices went down. They didn't have the term inflation for it. They didn't really understand what was going on, but it finally made sense to them over time. The more we throw cheap coinage in, the cheaper are the the more expensive things get at the market. We've known this forever, but the progressives want to forget it all. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, the yield curve, we need to talk about it. The yield curve, um, now listen, uh, out of the gate, I, I'm trying to explain the basic economic problems that the Biden administration has run into, and they're starting to own this stuff. They're, they're going to have to own it because they decided to use new rules. Democrats, by and large, have been Keynesian economists uh, that they, they want to spend a lot in a def, in a recession or in an economic downturn to get the economy back. Republicans tend to be supply-siders now from the Laffer curve of you lower taxes. That means you put more, without printing more government money, you're allowing people to have more of their money. And some people will call it trickle-down economics. George H.W. Bush called it voodoo economics till he became the vice presidential nominee. And, and it actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it, though Democrats hate it. If you lower taxes, you allow people more of their own money, and those people then take their money and put it into the economy, and it creates jobs and opportunity. The Democrats believe that you can raise taxes on the rich and then take that money and redistribute to, to others and spend a lot of money to stimulate the economy, the demand side of it. I like the Republicans I better. I think it makes a lot of sense. Democrats are ideologically predisposed to not liking it, but it set off the economic expansion of the Reagan administration that lasted all the way really up until uh, the Bush-Obama era. Uh, Reagan put so much in place to restructure the tax code and the like to to make it uh, easier to do business in the country. But progressives have been resentful of this the whole time. And now into the Biden administration, you have the rise of Elizabeth Warren and others. Uh, They've now got their opportunity in Congress to be able to shake things up. And they intend to shake up the economics of the country. And through the Biden administration, they have tried to spend their way to success out of COVID, and it's starting to do exactly what people like Democrats like Larry Summers predicted it would, which is to hurt the economy. Short-term yields on bonds that are higher than long-term yields are abnormal. So when you make more money off of a two-year bond instead of a 10-year bond, that's abnormal. They signal that high levels of short-term yields are unlikely to be sustainable as growth slows. The inversion of the two-year to the 10-year segment of the Treasury curve is the latest in a series beginning in October when 20-year yields topped 30-year yields. The widely watched gap between five-year and 30-year also turned upside down this week, something that hasn't happened until 2006. The U.S. two-year two-year yield briefly exceeded the 10-year yield on Tuesday for the first time since 2019, inverting yet another segment of the Treasury curve and reinforcing the view from the federal that the Federal Reserve tax or interest rate hikes are going to cause a recession. Now, this sounds like gobbledygook to a lot of people. I understand this, and I don't always get it right. And I I gotta I gotta talk to people about it. But here's the basic idea. 
that uh, your yields, how much you, how much money you get, how much the interest rate is, how much your bond will pay you back over time. When the two-year bond rate changes to a higher rate than the 10-year rate, when the 20-year rate winds up being higher than the 30-year rate, when the 10-year rate winds up being higher than the 30-year rate, what you're starting to signal is that people think that uh, long-term, the economy is going to go down. So when the yields change and the two-year yield is higher than the 10-year yield is higher than the 20-year yield is higher than the 30-year yield, that's a warning sign for people in, on Wall Street and in economics that a recession is probably about two years away. The last time this happened was 2006. And in 2006, the yield curves flipped. We've never seen a recession in this country without the yield curve flipping. And typically, when the yield curve flips, we got two years before the recession happens. And in 2019, the yield curve flipped for less than a day. It flipped and then it righted itself. And a lot of economists dismissed that and says, well, it, if it righted itself within a day, within the day, the same day, it's no big deal. But the short-term yields are now higher than long-term yields and have been for more than a day. And this hasn't happened since 2006, which means recession's coming. Historically, it means recession's coming. Concern has mounted, this is from Bloomberg, concern has mounted that Federal Reserve policy tightening will reduce consumer spending and business activity. Unlike the last occurrence, the U.S. Central Bank is battling the highest inflation rates in a generation, which is fueling speculation that circumstances will require a more dramatic adjustment in policy rates with more painful consequences. The Fed raised its benchmark rate by a quarter point this month from near zero and is widely tipped to do more. Futures traders are pricing an equivalent of eight additional hikes this year, with only six more meetings scheduled in 2022. Y'all, a recession will be here within the next two years. The economy will slow down. We may get stagflation. We may get back to the Jimmy Carter era. And this is all because Democrats were warned by mainstream Democrat economists that if you dump this much money into the economy, you're going to overheat the economy and get inflation and it's not going to be good. And the policy-making Democrats of today, fueled by the progressive left, said the old rules no longer apply. Y'all shut up and take a back seat. We're the new kids on the block, and we got new economic rules. And the new economic rules never worked. It was just a big bag of crazy pushed by people like Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Did not work. The New York Times has tried to defend the creators of modern monetary theory uh, to no avail. And now they're basically, it was a woman who came up with the idea. They're like, ah, it's just sexist to disagree with me. No, it's economically unsound to just throw that much money into the economy. Everyone's known it. Gone back to the Roman days of the Roman Empire. Everyone has known you can't do that. And you people thought the rules no longer apply. And therein lies the problem for the Democrats. It is still the economy stupid. 
The old rules still apply. The old rules may get a new veneer. The old rules may get some polishing. The old rules may get some uh, refining, but it doesn't mean they go away. Doesn't mean they go away. And the Biden administration thought that they lived in a new economic reality. Now, they got other problems as well. You got the war with Ukraine. Fertilizer prices are going up. Farmers are on the brink of bankruptcy because fertilizer prices are getting so high. And now there's a massive border surge coming. Homeland Security is preparing for a massive wave of illegal immigrants coming into the country. In fact, they are already starting to let illegal aliens go because they're so understaffed and overcrowded at detention facilities along the border. Here's Fox's Bill Malugan down at the southern border. Take a look at this video right here. Uh, This is video from Representative Tony Gonzalez's office yesterday showing 300 illegal immigrants being mass released by the federal government at an NGO here in Eagle Pass. This NGO is taking in several hundred migrants every single day after they're released by the feds. Again, they're running out of capacity here in Del Rio sector, and they've been dumping these migrants in local communities, small towns like Uvalde, Carrizo Springs, Del Rio, Eagle Pass. They're just dumping them there. This is going to be a problem for Joe Biden and the Democrats. It really is going to be a problem, an economic problem. It's going to be a continued disaster for them. And I want to be honest with you. Sometimes you just dealt a bad hand in politics. Sometimes things go badly for you. I, I kind of feel bad for some of the moderate Democrats. I, I, I know, I know, I know. But just, just hear me out here. These are the people, you've got a number of Democrats who warned Joe Biden not to go along with the progressives. They warned him you might need to get rid of uh, your chief of staff, Ron Klain. They warned him not to spend that much money. They warned him not to spend so much uh, political capital on Build Back Better. And they were ignored. And they are going to pay the price. They are the ones who are going to get hurt. They are the ones who are going to lose. And I'm fine with that. It'll get us the Republicans back into the House and Senate. But I do kind of feel bad for them. They're realizing just how bad it's getting. And uh, the reality is sometimes you can't catch a break in a campaign. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you run bad candidates. I, I, I've i known bad candidates. My gosh, I've seen my share of bad candidates when I ran campaigns. Uh, I, I, I kind of felt bad in situations where I could see somebody. I was very thankful I didn't have this situation. I was not one of those guys who worked at a campaign firm. I kind of picked and choose the candidates whose races I want to run. They were mostly friends of mine. But I know people who work for uh, campaign firms where candidates would come to the door, pay the retainer, and you'd run their campaign. And they sucked. Oh, my gosh. They sucked so bad. And the candidates are terrible. They don't know what they're doing. Sometimes you're dealt a bad hand. Sometimes it's the candidate. But oftentimes, more likely than not, in this age, particularly with an incumbent candidate, it's not the candidate that's the problem per se. It's the environment in which the candidate's running. A lot of Democrats are going to lose in November. I, I got data. Uh, we're we're going to talk about Disney in a little bit, but then we're going to get into this data. On oh, the Democrats, it's bad. And it's not really them. It's not really them. It's just it's other Democrats causing them problems. It, it's the moderate Democrats standing in the shadow of the squad and Joe Biden. 
And even them, even Joe Biden and the squad, are dealing with the economic turmoil of COVID, some of which they exacerbated by too much spending, but also the supply chain crisis, which increasingly is a Chinese-made problem. The Chinese are going back into lockdown, and so the Chinese, by going back into lockdown, they're causing economic calamity around the world. They're causing supply chain shortages. I got some some data on how, how many ports are backed up and how many supplies are slow. We'll get to that. But this is the environment in which the Democrats run. It's very much like in 2006. Republicans, as much as they protested back in 2006, when George W. Bush was president, Nancy Pelosi was on the rise. It was very clear Barack Obama was going to run for president in 2008. The 2006 environment for Republicans, they had a good thing going 2000, 2002, and 2004, and it was the end of the road, and they all knew it. Retirement started surging. They started uh, claiming it wasn't their fault. They tried to start uh, distancing themselves from the president. All the warning signs, the disaster is upon you and you know it. And we're seeing the same thing now. We're seeing moderate Democrats come out and blast the president. We're seeing moderate Democrats come out and say, hey, it's not our fault. We tried to warn them. We're seeing a massive rise in retirements for Democrats. It's the environment. You have high inflation, high gas prices. Taxes are going to go up on the wealthy if the Democrats have their way. You've got global instability. And now, you know, Tony Fauci's out there saying we may have to go back into lockdown again. That's not going to go over well. Also from Bloomberg, U.S. households face $5,200 inflation tax this year. Inflation will mean the average U.S. household will have to spend an extra $5,200 this year, $433 per month, compared to last year for the same consumption basket, according to estimates by Bloomberg Economics. The excess savings built up over the pandemic and increases in wages will cushion those costs and allow spending to expand at a decent pace this year, but accelerated depletion of savings will increase the urgency for those staying on the sidelines to join the labor force and the resulting increase in labor supply will likely dampen wage growth. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario out there. This is the environment in which the Democrats run. And a lot of it has to do with their own policies getting us here. But a lot of it is out of their control. A lot of it is because we live in an integrated global system. The Republicans need to be prepared to take advantage of this beyond just the cultural issues. They've got to have some economic plans as well. But right now, they don't have to do anything. All the Republicans have to do is say, hey, guys, we're not them, and they'll win. Oh, well, that's sad. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Um, Well, we're having some, some phone issues. We're working on them, so... We'll deal with that. But, yeah, this is breaking news. It just came across the wire. Bruce Willis is retiring. He's been diagnosed with aphasia. Um, If you hadn't heard of aphasia, it's a degenerative brain condition and uh, robs you of your ability to communicate. Um, Gosh, that's sad. Um, You you wind up not being able to speak right or, or understand language over time. Oh, gosh. Prayers for Bruce Willis. I finally introduced my kids to Die Hard. It is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. And it was also the first R-rated movie I ever saw. So when I was when I was my son's age, he's 13. When I was 13, my older sister and her boyfriend wanted to go see Die Hard. 
I, they were babysitting me. So they had to take me to the movie theater to see Die Hard. First R-rated movie I ever saw. And my gosh, is to this day, it's one of my favorite movies. It's just fantastic. So I finally, when my kid hit 13, I was like, eh, well, let's show my 13-year-old Die Hard because I was 13 when I saw, wow, that kid loves him some Die Hard. <laughs> oh, you, you, can, you can condemn my parenting if you want, but that's okay. It's a good movie. Uh, in other news, the Republican Jewish Coalition is endorsing Jennifer Strahan. Uh, you may not know who Jennifer Strahan is, but she's actually the one conservative challenger to Marjorie Taylor Greene down in Georgia. They've redrawn Marjorie's congressional district. It gets a little more of the suburban Atlanta area. Uh, there are lots of people hoping that Green will go away and Madison Cawthorn as well in his... I Okay. If, have you all heard the Madison Cawthorn stuff? I, I've never heard of what a key bump is. Apparently, that, that's something having to do with snorting cocaine. How does he know what it is if he doesn't engage in it? I mean, the Madison Cawthorn sounds like a guy who went to a cocaine-fueled orgy and is now telling me, oh, I got invited to this course. I wouldn't go. There's no way. I mean, what, what's that? He who smelt it, dealt it. Uh, I feel like that with Cawthorn and that nonsense, that guy. Good grief. Openly bragged that he wasn't going to hire a policy team for his office, just a comms team, and it shows. Uh, can't we just have all the clowns on the Democratic side? Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, the clown from Georgia. She's got a challenger named Jennifer Strahan. Uh, the Republican Jewish Coalition uh, is endorsing her against her. She's a viable conservative challenger. Uh, she's actually a pretty credible uh, Trump supporter. But she's not crazy, which hopefully means she can win. But I don't know. I was driving through North Georgia a couple of weeks ago, and there were Marjorie Taylor Greene signs in a lot of yards. Uh, the, 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 the rural parts of Georgia, I mean, she, she has their back, and they know it. Now, this woman would as well. But uh, Marjorie, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not a fan. I'm just not in any event. Okay, have you all seen the Chris Rufo videos? about Disney. I've got them. I want to play some. Because, you know, I, I spent a little time yesterday on the culture war stuff. And we need to spend a little time dissecting these videos of what was said at Disney. It does make me wonder how many uh, rich white liberals screwed up their kids and now have declared the kids' behavior normal and want to normalize uh, the screwed up behavior because they screwed up as a parent and they can't uh, carry the weight on their shoulders of having screwed up their kids. It just, I mean, Disney is going super woke, super fast, and they got problems. In fact, they're no longer even going to use the phrase boys and girls in Disney's parks because they don't want to offend people. Who seriously would get offended by that? I have no idea. We'll get to all that and more when we come back. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.